your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Last week, you remember that Steve and I did a bit of an impromptu interview, and you learned about some of the ministry opportunities at Christ Fellowship. And I just wanted to report back that the response was, was very, very encouraging. So first, I want to thank those of you who took the time to visit with, with Steve or Aaron or anyone else on the Elder Council and has agreed to move forward to uh, begin to use your God-given gifts to serve here at Christ Fellowship. Second, I want to say if you have not yet done that, it's not too late. We're working very hard to no longer be a 2080 church where 20% of the people do 80% of the work. We want to get as many people involved as possible. We're excited about the future. We're excited about where we're going as a church family. Well, in the darkest hour, Winston Churchill stood before the British Parliament and he delivered, as you know, an absolutely riveting speech that literally galvanized Parliament and galvanized a nation. Churchill didn't flinch. He didn't compromise. He didn't equivocate or hedge his bets or play games. Instead, Winston Churchill set his eyes on the goals of victory during the days of World War II and led his nation with bold resolve and courage. When Churchill spoke about the fate of Europe and how many had fallen into the, the drip of the Gestapo and the odious apparatus of Nazi rule, he went on to say this, We shall not slag or fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We will fight on the sea and the oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Don't you love Winston Churchill? This is exactly the kind of courage that we need in the Christian life. Courage that enables us to fight with integrity. Courage that enables us to say no to temptation. Courage that enables us to say no to the world, the flesh, and the devil. Courage that is strong. Courage that outlasts our enemies. Courage that propels us into the future by God's grace and for God's glory. Too often, however, we find ourselves... Weak need in the, in the battle. Too often we find ourselves giving ground over to the enemy. And here's kind of what it looks like. We sometimes are unwilling to draw doctrinal lines in the sand. Sometimes we are simply unwilling to stand up for the truth. We are unwilling to declare the truth in many times. Oh, that we would have an evangelical courage that exalts God and stands firm in the darkest hour. The title of the message this morning is Never Surrender. And in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13, Paul the Apostle laid the foundation by underscoring the imperatives, be strong in the Lord and put on the full armor of God. 
Last week we learned that these are indispensable commands. These are not only commands that are are crucial to obey, these are urgent commands for this day. These are commands that, that we ought to take very seriously. That is, we must be dead earnest about obeying these commands. Men and women of God, young people, followers of Christ, this is not a time for timidity. This is no time to be passive. As Christians, you need to remember that we are, as Ephesians 6 tells us, engaged in a battle. And like a soldier in a real-life battlefield, we are given divine armor for our protection. And that's exactly why Paul, as we learned last week, commands us to put on the full armor of God. Last night, as Doreen and I went on our, our daily walk, Doreen asked me, are you going to preach on one verse tomorrow? With a kind of a twinkle in her eye. And I said, no, tomorrow I'm not preaching on one verse. I'm preaching on one word. And so I want to have you look with me at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. And at a great risk of being mocked and maligned, I want to have you stand for the reading of that verse, even though it is a few short words. And since the first word is stand, I don't think we're going to get away with sitting. This is the word of the Lord, verse 14. Stand, therefore, having fastened fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Our Father, we thank you for the armor that begins to unfold in the following verses. As we move in that direction, God, I pray that you would enable us to see the importance today of standing Help us to understand it. Help us to see illustrations of it, examples of it. I pray that you would enable us by your grace and by your spirit to show us if, if we are in postures that are anything but standing. God, raise us up by your grace. Help us to stand firm in your grace. Help us to stand firm in the grace that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I pray that this would be of, of great benefit to your people as we spend time reading your word study in your word and ask that you would give us courage to live it for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning I want for you to see an important lesson as we begin to move forward in the weeks to come, as we unfold the various pieces of armor together. But I want you to see that there is a prerequisite, there is a a first step that we must take So that wearing the armor will work in the way that God intends. That is to say, we must have the proper posture. This morning, I want to give you the truth point in advance and have you think about it and meditate on it and chew on it as we're studying the Word of God together. And it goes like this. Battle-ready saints, that's you and I, stand firm and we never surrender. There is a book that is one of Charles Haddon Spurgeon's favorite books. And actually, this is the first of three volumes. This is a a Puritan writer by the name of William Gurnall. And the name of the book, if you have never read this, I, I highly recommend that you pick up a copy of this book, rather three books. It's entitled, The Christian in Complete Armor. And this old Puritan writer says this. He says, to stand is the opposite of fleeing 
or surrendering. He says the captain who sees his men retreating or on the verge of surrender gives the orders, stand. And every soldier worthy of his calling responds at once to his captain's voice. In like manner, every Christian is to respond to God's call and stand. In other words, steadfastly to resist and never yield to the attacks of Satan. My dear friend came to visit with me in my study last week after the message. And my friend served a season in the United States military. Thank you for your service. And he said to me, something struck me about the sermon this morning. He said, in the military, when the commanding officer says, jump, you jump. When the commanding officer says, put down your weapon, you put down your weapon. When the commanding officer says, stand, you stand. There are no negotiations. There is nothing to talk about. When the commanding officer says to stand, you must stand. And that is exactly the proper posture for you and I, one of standing. And so I want to look with you at that word today. It's that first word in verse 14. And we're going to take the next several minutes and really focus intensely on the word stand I want to give a brief explanation. First of all, the word stand comes from a Greek word that means to face or withstand something or someone with courage. So our commanding officer tells you and I, followers of Christ, you must stand. You must face your enemy with boldness and you must face your enemy with courage. The word translated stand in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 14 is found throughout the pages of the New Testament. It is variously translated as maintain or establish or remain firmly. The translators have chosen this particular word and I think for right a very good reason. We are to stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. This is precisely where we left off last week in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Will you read it with me? Paul says, Therefore, take up, remember that's an imperative, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. We learned last week that when we wear the whole armor of God, not 70% of the armor, not 90% of the armor, not 99% of the armor, but when we obey God and put on the complete armor that God grants His people supernatural ability to do two things. And it's found right here in verse, verse 12. We are to withstand the enemy, and we are to stand firm. Now, the word withstand, verse 13 rather, the word withstand means to stand against. It means to oppose. It means to resist something. And last week we made the point that we are not resisting a political party. We are not resisting a political movement or a person or a group of people or even other world religions. Rather, we are given supernatural ability to withstand evil. I'm sure you would agree with me this morning that we live in an evil generation. How many are with me? It seems to get more evil by the day. 
And if you don't affirm that we live in a culture that is getting more and more evil by the day, just turn on the news and watch it for 15 minutes. And you will see that we live in an increasingly evil culture. Now, evil is defined in verse 12 as rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Notice the word now, therefore, in verse 14. Stand, Paul says, therefore. It is on the basis of what we have previously learned together about wearing the complete armor of God that we are enabled by his grace to stand in the evil day. Now, I want to have you think with me about what that evil day could represent, what it does represent. In other words, what is it that we're up against? When Paul says we're called to to withstand, to stand in that evil day, exactly what is happening? You might find it interesting to know, many of you know I like to read once in a while. And uh, in 1985, in the month of August, I went to Multnomah. It was called then Multnomah School of the Bible. It's now Multnomah University. And I vividly remember sitting in my dorm room the very first day. And this is, I actually own two books. One of the books was Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis that I still have. And I, I had my copy of the New International Version Bible. And this thing, if you look through it, it is thrashed. It is filled with notes and highlighting and all. It's just falling apart. But I own this and Mere Christianity. That was it. And I didn't much care for reading. Well, it was one day I went to, and I'll never forget it, the Christian Supply Store on Division Street in Portland. I walked in. I think I was prepared to buy a new, a new album, new cassette tape. I know most of you have no idea what that is. And uh, I went to get a cassette tape, and I started wandering around the store. And, and I bumped into a book, and this is the very first book I purchased as a Christian in college. And the name of the book is Spiritual Warfare by Ray Stedman, former pastor of Peninsula Bible Church in California. And I want to read a quote from this book, a quote that continues to strengthen me a great deal. And I think this will be rather illuminating to you. Stedman says, The goal of the devil is always to produce discouragement, confusion, or indifference. Wherever we find ourselves victims of a state of confusion or uncertainty or discouragement and defeat, or have an indifferent or callous attitude toward life and others, we have already become prey to the wiles of the devil. I want to share something with you that is not in my notes, and I want to speak from the heart. So that is a quote I read back in 1985 and still continue to profit from to this day. It was last night I finished my workout and I finished preparing for the message and and discouragement began to well up in my soul and in my spirit and fear began to seize me by the throat and for no apparent reason. And I'm just kind of curious, just so I don't feel like I need to be hospitalized. How many of you have had something similar happen to you? 
Just out of the blue, for, keep your hands up so everyone look around. Out of the blue, just for no reason, you just started to get discouraged. Nothing happened. And you're like, man, it's like, you need help. Talking to myself. And then something popped into my mind. What does Ray Steadman say? The goal of the devil is to always produce discouragement, confusion, or indifference. I had discouragement, I had confusion, and borderline indifference. But he says whenever we find ourselves the victims of the state of confusion or uncertainty or discouragement, defeat, or an indifferent or callous attitude toward life and others, we have already become prey to the wiles of the devil. And I'm going to preach this message in less than 24 hours. The point is this. Do you see how the devil operates? I'm thinking to myself, I'm supposed to have this down. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to be a, a step ahead. I'm supposed to live the, the victorious Christian life. But 24 hours before the sermon, less than 24 hours before the sermon, I begin to wrestle with the very things that I'm going to preach against. This is the, the, the tactic of the devil. This is what it means to live in the evil day. There are several things I want you to see. That we live in an ungodly world. The Greek word is cosmos. Paul warns us about the cosmos in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the cosmos, the world, and not according to Christ. It is this ungodly world that characterizes the evil day that we're a part of. But I want you to also see that there is an ungodly agenda. And there are several things that we could say about that ungodly agenda. But I want to have you turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. And we'll read it quickly to, to get a, a really a thumbnail sketch of this ungodly agenda. 2 Timothy chapter 3 beginning of verse 1. And Paul unfolds this ungodly agenda for us. See if you recognize this in 2018. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And Paul concludes his argument by saying, avoid such people. We are to be in the world, as Jesus says, but not of the world. And so this evil system is comprised of an ungodly cosmos. There is an ungodly agenda at the center of this ungodly world. And finally, we wrestle with an ungodly enemy. His name is Satan. And he is supported by an entourage of evil demons. I believe millions of evil demons, fallen angels. And these satanic emissaries seek to do several things. They, they seek to threaten your faith they seek to discourage your faith. They seek to destroy your faith. 
These ferocious wolves are satanic ambassadors who do the bidding of the prince of darkness. These demons seek to hinder the work of the ministry, as 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18 says. They work with all their might to stir up pride in the people of God. How many pastors do you know of in the last five years who have fallen or been disciplined or have been sent out of their churches because of the sin of pride? Satan is doing a work. It's, it's an effective work in this generation, but we must oppose it. These satanic emissaries work with all their might to not only stir up pride in the hearts of people, ultimately their aim is to destroy the people of God. Their aim is to destroy pastors, destroy missionaries, destroy lay people, destroy Christian workers. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and what? Destroy, so says Jesus Christ. Listen to Jesus as he communicates with Peter, Simon Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. After Satan tested Job in the book of Job, took all his property, all of his children, all of his livestock, and the only thing Job had left was what? An unsubmissive wife who said, curse God and die. It is in the face of this kind of satanic attack, my friends, that we are called to maintain a very specific posture. We are called to stand. I want you to see several observations about this very important call to stand. First, I want you to remind, to remind you that this is a commandment. Just like the commandments we saw in the previous verses, stand is a commandment. It's written in a specific verb tense that says, you make a point in time decision, I will stand. I'm kind of curious, have you made that decision? Are you in the proper posture as a follower of Jesus Christ? Second, this is a settled resolution. The call to stand, the command to stand is a settled resolution. I say in my mind and I say to my commanding officer, Lord Jesus, I make a commitment to stand. This is a settled resolution. Third, it is a pre-commitment. It is something, once again, I, I establish in my mind, which leads to the fourth thing. And that is, and these all work together. This is a mindset. My mindset is I stand at attention, I obey my commanding officer, there's never a time to take a break in the Christian life. In other words, before we enter the battlefield, we must embrace this settled resolution. We must establish this as a commitment in our hearts. We must be energized by this mindset, namely, we must stand. Now imagine with me, I love military movies, right? I'd be scared to death to go on the battlefield as a soldier, but I like to watch the movies, right? It's like I love to read stories and, and watch documentaries on climbing Mount Everest. You're not getting me anywhere close to Mount Everest, right? 
I want you to imagine with me a soldier who's decked out in his armor. I mean, he's got, he's got the, the pants on, the camos. He's got, he's got a, a 45 strapped to his, his waist. He's got his armor on. He's got his helmet on. He's got his, his sword. I mean, he's got everything. This guy is an amazing fighting machine. He's outfitted from head to toe as the enemy encroaches on his territory. And even though he is prepared with the latest equipment and technology, he's in a troubling posture. Is everyone with me? Kind of shake your head if you imagine this amazing fighting machine. At least one person. Thank you. So here he is, ready to go to war. And he is in a lounge chair, drinking a glass of chocolate milk. Just waiting to go to war. Does anyone have any idea what's going to happen to that soldier? He's going to get pasted. He's going to get annihilated. He has all the proper armor on, but he's not in the proper posture. Finally, I want you to see that this commandment to stand, most importantly, is a step of faith. When you stand, you are not only obeying God, you are counting on the reality of that his strategy is the right strategy. You see, again, we don't, we don't debate with God. We don't negotiate with God. But God, you don't understand. There's a, a better way to do it. No, we obey and we stand. And we stand by faith. That's a brief explanation. Move forward with me to the effects. What are the effects of obeying this command? Well, several things we could highlight. First of all, it signifies seriousness. Can you imagine if I preached the message in this posture? I want you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, and I have a really, really important message to share with you. Why is everyone laughing? This is not a posture of authority. And so, when we are told to stand, it signifies seriousness. You see, the, the Christian life, here's kind of a newsflash for all of us, the Christian life is serious, serious business. We are engaged in war. Therefore, we must what? We must stand. Secondly, it signifies steadfastness. Several things are highlighted in the pages of the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Paul says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. 2 Corinthians one twenty four. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Third effect. Standing signifies spiritual strength. Paul said to the young pastor, Timothy, you then, my child, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Number four, it signifies conviction. Just the very posture signifies, I know what I believe. I have convictions. Number five, it signifies maturity. Colossians 4.2 says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. With thanksgiving. You see, the, the Christ follower who is in a posture of standing is not only spiritually ready, this believer is spiritually mature. And then finally, this posture of standing, it signifies hope. It's interesting because the word pops into my mind, and I immediately thought of Romans chapter 5, verse 1, where Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Because we are in Christ, we stand. Because we are in Christ, we have hope. Now, I want to have you turn just for a moment to the book of Daniel. Because I want to move from an explanation to the effects to the third element. And that is the example. And there are many examples in Scripture. But I want to focus here on this this amazing story. This is not a mere Sunday school story. This is something that happened. This is something that is a historical fact. Where we come face to face with three men of faith. And you just have to like their names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There are three things that I see taking place in Daniel chapter 3. General principles that we can run to the bank with. The first one is found in verses 10 and 11. Look at it with me. So start in verse 8. Therefore at the time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. You have these pagan individuals who are pointing the judgmental finger at these faithful Jewish men. Verse 9, they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king, O king, live forever. That is their kiss-ups, right? They're brown-nosers. Verse 10, you, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship, he shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. The first thing I want you to see about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is that these were guys who stood when no one was looking. You see, the, the Fox News hadn't showed up yet. MSNBC hadn't showed up yet. They wouldn't report it anyway. Sorry. <laughs> you see, the news outlets hadn't heard about what was happening at this historical event. And what was happening here is that these three faithful Jewish men were unwilling to commit the sin of idolatry. They stood when no one was looking. Well, now things are heating up, pardon the pun. And these leaders come to King Nebuchadnezzar and they say, I thought you made a decree for everyone who refuses to to bow down and worship you and these pagan deities. They must be thrown into the fiery furnace. Notice what happens in verse 13. Nebuchadnezzar. In furious rage, which comes from a a Hebrew term that means intense anger. This is intense anger of, of epic proportions. In furious rage, he commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good, he gives them another chance. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Note the sarcasm. These faithful men stand number one. They stand when no one was looking. But they also stand, this is number two, they stand when the king is fuming. 
My question is, how many of you, when you stood before a pagan king who said, I'll throw you into the furnace unless you obey my wishes and commit the sin of idolatry, how many of you would say, God tells me to stand. I will obey. I will stand. I will not commit the sin of idolatry. Notice what takes place now in verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury once again. And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning and fiery furnace. And what happens next is something that should be in a movie. This is amazing. Then these men bound in their cloaks, their tunics and their hats and their other garments, and they were thrown into the the burning, fiery furnace because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. The third stand is that they stand when the fire is blazing. They stand when no one was looking. The news outlets hadn't shown up. Now the king is fuming. Now the media probably shows up and people are hearing about this. But they stand when the king is fuming. And most important, they stand when the fire is blazing. What is the key lesson? What is the key takeaway? Look at verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. The key takeaway as God delivered these faithful men in their obedience as they stood is that people who stand trust God. People who stand trust God. Now, in the Christian life, there are times, as you well know, when standing is not convenient, standing is not popular. There are times when we get lazy. There are times when we think about giving up. There are times when you may even succumb to sin. And it is in times like these that you, in your 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 posture of wanting to give up, you need a strong Christ follower to exhort you. You need a strong Christ follower to come alongside and and give you courage and provide strength and tell you to do the right thing by standing. And so I want to focus the remainder of our time on this ministry of exhortation. This is something that is not popular with some people. And while we're looking at this, turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Because it takes place in a, in a very concrete way here. Acts chapter 20. First, I would have you turn your attention to what I would like to characterize as a ministry of admonishment. A ministry of admonishment. While you're turning to Acts 20, remember that in the book of Acts, there are some false teachers who, who arise on the scene and they seek to destroy the mission that threatened the followers of Christ. They seek to, to, to destroy these men, destroy their ministries. But here in verse 31, we see something very interesting. Paul says, therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. 
The word translated admonishment comes from a Greek word that means to instruct, to exhort, to teach, or to warn. One commentator says admonishing in Scripture has the connotation of confronting with the intent of changing one's attitudes or actions. You see, some of you might be in a position right now where you're not in a posture of standing and you may need someone to get in your face. You might need someone like an Apostle Paul to come alongside and warn you, to admonish you, to instruct you, to exhort you. What do you need to be warned about? You need to be warned about the lure of sin and the path of wickedness. Have you ever been in a situation where you began to walk down a wicked path and a brother or sister in Christ called you up? They got wind of it and they called you up and they said, stop, you're going in the right direction. And there's only two responses. Yes, you're right. I choose to stand. Or, no, I'm not changing my mind. I'm not doing what the Word of God says. I'm doing what I want to do. This is the the exact kind of person that needs to be warned. James says in chapter 1, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own evil desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Proverbs says, do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Nathan, I so appreciate the the assignment that you gave the high school students to take a week and to read through Proverbs 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 and to pick one verse to memorize. This is the kind of teaching, this is the kind of admonishing ministry that our young people are receiving here at Christ Fellowship, and I appreciate it very much. We also need to be warned to to flee from idolatry. When you begin to walk down that wicked path, you need a mature Christ follower. It might be your spouse. It might be one of your elders. It might be one of your pastors. It might be a good Christian friend to say, steer clear from the path of idolatry. Additionally, you need to be warned about the end result of unbelief. Many of you have struggled over the years with with unbelief. And the scripture is very clear. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart turning away from the living God. John MacArthur says, if there is sin in the life of a believer, other believers have the responsibility to lovingly, gently admonish them to forsake that sin. And this is the first thing I generally hear from people, but that's judgmental. That's judgmental. My response is, you better believe it is. You better believe it is. Because when a brother or sister refuses to stand, when a brother or sister refuses to obey God, they need a mature Christ follower to say, watch it. Because there's a way that seems right to a man, and in the end, it leads to what? It leads to death. Second, look at a ministry of discipleship. Acts chapter 20, verse 32 Great verse. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. To discipleship is the process that includes introducing people to the Lord Jesus Christ and building them up in the Christian faith. 
strengthening them, encouraging them, nurturing them. And the word that stands out that I've already highlighted in verse 32 is the word translated build you up. It, it's a word that means to, to strengthen or to edify. And I'm so excited about Christ Fellowship right now because we have, we have a whole variety of ministries that is doing this. We disciple people in jam. Justin, is Justin here? Justin, 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 Justin. If you get a chance, you've never met Justin, would you shake Justin and his wife Katie's hand and get to know the leaders in JAM? And beyond that, and you could do this, tell me if I'm wrong, Justin, today after the service, would you just take two minutes and go upstairs and see what's going on in JAM? It's amazing, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. It, it's a facelift. What's happening up there? It's more than just a facelift. Young people are being shepherded. Young people are being discipled. We disciple young people also in Veritas. BJ and Kayleen and Tim and Rhonda and Jordan on Wednesday night just began last week. They had a great group of students. We have other ministries throughout the week where people are being encouraged in the Christian faith. Three great new classes have begun. This is the beginning of a great year at Christ Fellowship. Women's ministry has just begun where women are being discipled. Study in Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Men and Iron Men will begin on October 20th. We haven't even announced it yet. But we will come together once again to, to learn about the Word of God where we receive counsel and godly admonition. We stand with one another for the glory of God. Then there's the ministry of helps. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 35. In all things, Paul says, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. That word translated weak refers to those who are in a state of being incapacitated or morally weak. You would say it this way. It describes a person who is struggling to stand. Some of you this morning may be struggling to stand. The scripture says you're numbered among the weak and you need a godly person to come alongside and encourage you and admonish you and teach you and stand with you to do the right thing. And something interesting happens at the end of this chapter. And this is where I hear the music playing, right? Beginning of verse 36. And when he had said these things, Paul knelt down and prayed with them all. He's getting ready to depart. They love this man. He was their shepherd, their pastor. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and they kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that he would not, they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship in my mind, it's not hard to imagine this scene. He had labored daily with the elders for three years. He had ministered faithfully to the people of God. And so he models the importance of building personal relationships with people. And he models the timely nature of prayer as he prepares to set sail. And through prayer, we help other believers to stand firm. This week or this day, you might need someone to just to come alongside and pray for you. Brother, sister, help, help me pray that I would stand firm in the Christian faith. And that is the important lesson that we have learned. That is the prerequisite to wearing the armor. Isn't it interesting? In two weeks, we have not even begun to look at the armor 
of God. We've seen the importance of wearing it. We've seen the prerequisite of standing. But next week we will turn our attention to the first piece of armor, namely the belt of truth. Which leads us to our truth point that battle-ready saints stand firm and they make this commitment. They never, never surrender. I want to ask you as we close, are you battle-ready? Are you standing firm in the faith? Or are you compromising the faith? Are you standing firm in the faith or are you a capitulator of the faith? Are you making concessions so the world will think you're cool, so the world will accept you? Or are you listening to the lies of the enemy, the same enemy whose ultimate aim is to destroy you? Are you standing tall or are you playing fast and loose with the gospel? It was the old bishop, hero of mine, British man, J.C. Ryle. I call it J.C. Ryle's warning. He said this, take away the gospel from a church and that church is not worth preserving. A well without water, a scabbard without a sword, a steam engine without a fire, a ship without a compass and a rudder, a watch without a mainspring, a stuffed carcass without life. All those are useless things. But there is nothing so useless as a church without the gospel. My challenge to you today is that perhaps you don't even know of the gospel. Perhaps today is the day of salvation where I've been encouraging Christ followers to stand, but you're not a Christian yet. You're not even seated, let alone standing. And the word of God says this, that God created you in his image. He created you to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. And we refuse to do that. We we heap a great insult on the greatness of his worth. And so God sent Jesus Christ to be the final payment for your sin. He was the substitute for everything that you have ever said or done, every sin you have committed. He dies for the sins of every person who would ever believe. And the call today is to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by virtue of your faith, when you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, your posture is one of standing. It's one of standing. And so we choose to stand. When the gospel is attacked, we choose to stand. We stand when the word of God is maligned. We stand when our church is critiqued. We stand when doctrine is marginalized. We stand when the doctrines of grace are compromised. We stand when the enemy presses in. We stand when the enemy tempts us. We stand when the enemy sifts us like Peter. We stand when the enemy seeks to destroy us. And when we choose to stand, we are marked as battle-ready saints. And these battle-ready saints are prepared to begin the joyful process of unpacking the armor of God that each one of us is commanded to wear on the battlefield. And we walk away this morning and we make this affirmation, we will never surrender. May it be so of each one of us. Let's pray. Father, enable us by your grace to stand We recognize, according to 1 Peter 5, that it is in grace that we stand. And so, Lord, thank you for for showering your grace upon us individually and corporately here at Christ Fellowship. 
If there's anyone here who is in a posture that does not honor you and does not glorify you, whether it be the unconverted who have never come to saving faith or be it the converted who have been standing in disobedience and need to repent today, may that happen today by your grace and for your glory. May we make a a settled resolution. May our mindset be, I choose to stand. And that's so exciting, God, because it prepares us. It places us in a strategic position where we can begin next week to unpack and explain together what it means to put on the belt of truth. We look forward to that day. Now, as we come to the Lord's table, would you be honored? Would you be glorified as we remember the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ? For it's in his name we pray. Amen.